but queerness is shifting, it's other, it, it, it's, it's liminal. For instance, even Guy and I have completely different experiences of queerness. Queerness is personal, cultural, relational, bioregional even. Like, each experience of queerness is different. Welcome to Climate Curious, the podcast for people who are scared, bored, or confused by the climate conversation. This week, we're changing it up and have got a very exciting, very VIP guest co-host joining us from the TEDx London crew, the one and only Jamie Windus. Reason being that here on the Climate Curious podcast, we've spoken extensively about how marginalised groups already have most of the climate solutions the world is looking for. And now it's time to do this with a lens purely on the LGBTQIA plus community in even more depth than we've done it before. We'll be asking things like, what's the link between queerness and climate change? How can queerness help us approach the climate crisis in new ways? And why must climate change activism intersect with LGBTQIA plus activism? So let's get into it. Hi, Jamie. It's been a little, it's been, a, I think the last time I saw you, Ben, we were in Abbey Road. What a clang. Honestly, it actually was in Abbey Road, wasn't it? How wild is that? That was during the midst, the heat, the height of a pandemic, which and was TEDx incredibly... London. We're Stressful. still churning out sensational Listen, content. Can't stop, won't stop. Bad boy. Take that. And mm. much Doing like today, dinner. they've had me in. They've, they've roped <laughs> me back in. They've, they've roped you back in, have they? So, sorry, for everybody who's listening, hello, welcome. For context, we've got a very special episode of Climate Curious today. And we also have an even more special co-host for this episode it's the true. immutable jamie windus ba, 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 ba. can you please insert some uh, applause there jamie how are you how are you doing how are you, how's life going i feel like you're living to the max at the moment it really is to the max um no i'm all right i'm very happy to be back i love i love a podcast and i'm normally i normally don't have such uh such high-tech Qualities. I've got a real life microphone. Ben. Listen, see, we're doing it for. This is it. We don't do half measures here. Do you know what I mean? No. It's... Marianne wouldn't have it. No, she would not. And we've got um, a really, we've got a really interesting guest today. Marianne's so good at doing this bit, right? Because she always like has a slick intro to like what we're talking about. But I really don't know <laughs> what what this is. <laughs> so I I feel like you know the guest more than I know the guest sure. today. Should so I do who a sweep are we in? talking to? Yeah, give us a, a a quick a quick overview of what we're doing. Now I, I know you're excited because I'm here, Ben, but we've got two people who are much more exciting than me, which <laughs> is difficult in in 2022. It's very very difficult. These two guests today are going to rock your world because I know a little bit about them, but I think everybody is going to be blown away so we are joined today by Guy Rattani and Toad two people with the best names on this planet of all time and, and the only on this planet they look after our planet because they are the co-founders of Permaqueer now their mm. work revolves around finding cultural reciprocity within our ecosystems both in a traditional and a contemporary sense now Ben 
I see your slightly puzzled face. I also <laughs> see mine. So let's get into it and find out exactly what they get up to. Are we ready? Yes. yes. Everything is on green light, so go. Now, today, Ben, we are joined by Guy Ritani and Toad, who are not just two people with sensational names, but they're co-founders of Hermaqueer, another sensational... That could be a band. I'm just saying if this doesn't work out, I think they should put this into a, a band. Anyway, their work revolves around finding cultural reciprocity within our ecosystems, both in a traditional and a contemporary sense. So, hello, Guy and Toad. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. Hi, y'all. <laughs> how, how, how are you doing today? Good, good. A little bit tired. We've had a really wonderful week. Okay. So, Jamie just said that Permaqueer sounds like a band name and i feel like this, i feel like you've done the, the the strongest pr job ever of all time because i don't I, I don't know what's going on here but i want to be a part of it Permaqueer, what what is that what does what do you do who are you what does that mean <laughs> well let's Thank start you. with what does Permaqueer do i think that's a nice intro question there Yes, that, that's that's a great place to start. So Permaqueer, the name, is um, a combination of uh, permaculture, so the permaculture design methodology, um, and queer, coming from queer theory. And so uh, we as permaqueer use uh, the guidance of queer theory um, applied through permaculture um, to create a, a queer ecologically designed approach uh, to how we engage with our food systems, our social systems, um, and, and just systems design in general. So that's sort of the, the nebulous part of it. Um, but basically, yeah, yeah. I feel, I feel like you can see on my face that I'm like, what, (laughs) what, what does this mean? (laughs) So, so we've got to go step by step. Jamie, go Mm -hmm. for it. Ben, you've got this deep breaths, hold my hand through the power of Zoom. You will understand we're all on a learning journey. Right, good. So, one of my favorite things about what you, how you approach your work is talk to me about the way that you define the word queer in your work. Because I think a lot of people think that when the word queer is attached to something, it's inherently just about sexuality or gender identity. But talk to us about the way in which you combine your definition of queerness with climate activism and climate change? I really, really love that question because people always wonder, like, why, why do you got to make it gay? Um, <laughs> why it got to be gay, though? Um, it's true. It's true. Um, for us, we orientate queer and queerness um, and, and queer theory um, as something, as almost a design methodology. In the same way that feminism arose from women's studies, Uh, but applies not just to women, but to many different areas of life. So too does kind of queerness and queer theory arise from LGBT plus studies, but is kind of used elsewhere. Um, I I like to nerd out about it and talk about it, but there's actually a really great quote I'd love to use by Bell Hooks, uh, Um, because you can't beat Bell Hooks, to be honest. Um, You can't beat a bit of Bell. You cannot. (laughs) Um, Saved by the Bell Hooks. Um, queer, not about being as who you're having sex with, although that can be a dimension of it, but queer as being about the self that is at odds with everything around it. And that has to invent and create and find a place to speak and thrive and to live. Mm. 
So for me, I like queer is so nebulous. I like to explain it as, you know, when you get like a filament on your eye and you try and look at it and it keeps moving away. That... Oh my gosh, that's such a good explanation. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh my gosh. And, and you know, we, we, we look at queerness as the edge of innovation and creativity that you can't quite grasp. Um, and it's ever evolving. And I think in a world right now where we're facing such difficulty because of the social norms that we have, having a design approach that is imaginative, that is new and is innovative, uh, is where we need to be. And so that's what houses queer for us. It's this growing vital edge of um, regeneration and, and love and care. And when we wow. talk about queer as well, we, we often use, use it as a verb of like queering, uh, and this was given mm. to us by a fantastic woman named Hannah Breckbill. And she was saying that um, queering is, um, as she orientates it, is uh, the interrogation of social norms, uh, which we all understand that kind of to be as, but also redesigning systems to better meet, meet, meet the needs of kind of diverse communities and yourself. So it's interrogating it and understanding what works and what doesn't work, and then recreating systems to better meet the needs of all. Okay. So, so queerness as, as the idea of like being on the cutting edge, mm. the squiggly thing in the corner of your eye, I get that. My, I've got a question for maybe the people in the back. <laughs> Shout out to all my people in the back. <laughs> I, I feel like I should know the answers to this, but in terms of permaculture, <laughs> what are we talking about? What is, because I think that's the other piece of the puzzle, right? It's like I, yeah. the, the queer piece and the permaculture piece and yeah. then merging them together. But I'm not sure what you mean when you say that. Yeah, thank you. That's that's really, yes, it's, it's very clear we need to define that. So uh, <laughs> permaculture is um, a design methodology that um, came out of some academics in Hobart in Australia in the 1970s, which is a combination of agriculture, uh ecology and what's the uh, land management and land management so it was why do we have these three areas of sort of study when they actually intrinsically have have uh, a sole role together and so permaculture is a uh, ethical um, design methodology based off of earth care, people care and fair share and it uses principles to apply how we engage with um, our lives and, and with systems. And so it's a really, really powerful tool set um, to orient ourselves in a sustainable and regenerative way. Um, and where, in, in the ways we've kind of made it a bit queer, we're trying to queer permaculture, is that it's hugely applicable to um, a lot of communities that otherwise don't have a lot of uh, control over resource redistribution or access right. to resources. Right, right. Uh, it, it's, it has really fantastic applications there, but typically in the country of so-called Australia, where we're speaking to you from, it's typically <clears throat> practiced by middle-class white Australians who have land. And in right. terms of housing here, like a lot of the younger generation will never have access to land stewardship or land ownership. So for us, we're really looking at the ways in which we can apply it in the suburbs, within communities, in kind of transient spaces uh, to kind of really get some food security and housing security for diverse communities. So what was the, the journey for you into understanding perma, permaculture education and understanding queerness and then believing that those two things, one, were important and two, belonged together? Mm. How did you get from wherever your starting point was to this point? Yeah, thank you. 
It's quite a funny story, really. <laughs> we had a pretty natural sort of emergence, which is why we love um, Permaqueer in this sort of space that we're in so much because we didn't really create it we just sort of happened to fall into it and so we when covid hit uh melbourne which was the most locked down city in the world um we ended up going a whole lot of people lost their jobs i i'm not from uh melbourne or australia so i didn't get any social welfare didn't have any income but we were living in a permaculture transition house so it established a community uh, accommodation systems, we'd establish community food systems, we'd establish these bartering economies between our neighborhoods. And so actually losing my job and having no income in a time of pandemic, um, I was actually fine, which was incredible because there were a lot of my friends who had, you know, larger incomes than me, who had more security, were actually devastated and they ended up having to move countries. And I, we really recognized that because of these systems, we had so much structural systemic resilience and we recognize that this kind of designed support socially designed support um, doesn't exist that much in marginal queer communities and so we just started thinking hey what happens when we apply this within a queer context so it started initially with uh, just us in queer communities queer communities of color um, and and it kind of grew from there and so now we've mm. you know we've bought uh, permaculture into the queer community to try and resource them but it's gone both ways we've actually brought queerness into permaculture and sort of ripping up the carpets um, of that foundation <laughs> at the moment yeah right <laughs> I don't think you can really touch one thing without the other thing touching uh, touching you. And I think that's really happening in really exciting ways. And I think mm. the really exciting thing for us is when we were living in that transition house, um, we'd only ever heard of permaculture as this thing that you can do if you're like living out on like lots of land. Uh, but like where we were living, uh, we were part of a local dumpster diving food redistribution, redistribution network. And that was a permaculture mm. design. So earth care, we were taking uh, like food out of land care, people care. We were getting actually, um, all, we, we didn't pay for groceries the entire time we lived in that house. And fair what? share. What? Yeah, we, we dumped all our food. We uh, went to a very, very high-end um, department store, which had a, a big wow. front facing. Uh, like they would just turn out all their stock. Um, yeah. It was actually our first, our, no, our second date. I took Guy dumpster diving. Uh, and Guy was a corporate so queer. Oh. Yeah. Was a corporate queer at the time. We hopped into the bins. Recovering. Uh, recovering corporate queer. Yeah. Um, I yep. hopped into the bins. I pulled out bouquets of roses and yeah. like champagne as well. So here's the yeah. group, right? Yeah. You know, these giant, you know, food systems that have all these bougie displays and cheeses and everything, they right. set them up one day to look opulent and they have to maintain that brand of opulence. And so there's so much food that yeah. gets wasted. And it was- Because dumb. cheese dries out. Yeah, yeah. you know? We will forget. Mm. It's a really relatable, you know, it's a relatable statement to, you know, just constantly having to serve opulence it is i am i feel like i personified oh, the tough, incredibly environmentally dangerous cheese shops of australia <laughs> yeah, that's you yeah I, yeah it's true that's so amazing though did you find that like bonded you together in a sense dumpster diving behind a huge chic department store yeah i love that far by far because i I'm a, I'm a feral queer through and through um and guy wow. has a lot of taste and I, I can't say that i i i'm a very tasteful creature um and i you think learn. it was i'm learning um so i think that it was a really 
bonding moment mm-hmm. and then like it mm-hmm. was just the joy and the guy was earning I, a, a good budget like a, a good income prior to COVID. yeah prior to covid and like <laughs> right we were eating meals cool. that guy wouldn't have been able to afford it was yeah. part of their average thing it like, was just yeah. astounding and so this sort of dumpster food aspect is just one example of how poorly designed the system that we mm-hmm. live in and it's not just food that's being hemorrhaged. There is accommodation that's been hemorrhaged there because of the structures of how we have, you know, landlording or, or Airbnb or, you know, the housing market. And when we have an ecological design system um, that we can apply to the system we have, all of a sudden we recognize why this hemorrhaging is so bad. And so this example of these masses of food that are going to waste, these are resources all across the world in so many different forms that get hemorrhaged again and again by design. So it's not actually anyone's fault. Like it's, it's people just, we've inherited this structure that's inherently damaging and destructive and, you know, there's actually a better way to do it. And we've been sort of trying to figure out what that is. I'm speaking to good design a little bit. Uh, when you're actually able to, you know, as part of this redistribution network, we were getting incredible food that we never would have been able to purchase ourselves. Uh, we we're doing something good for the earth. And we actually just set up a little cupboard at the front of our house where we put our excess food in. And during COVID, that was feeding a bunch of people. And then other people wow. were coming in and bringing gourmet mushrooms that they had grown, bringing, uh, like... People were mending socks and, and putting them in. That People were just sharing all this stuff. So just passively, by good design, getting rid of our waste, we'd actually accumulated a huge amount of, like, social currency and, like, just become uh, really embedded in community and built community up just by right. making good design instead of intentionally bad design. So you're mm. essentially getting free dinner and having a food bank for the whole community right? yeah out, like how does that work your house <laughs> yeah 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 and making a little sock shop yeah, yeah. and it's funny because you know when we lean into this like beautiful regenerative queer culture that we're trying to vision we actually get so confronted with we constantly be- believe that someone has to lose And somehow we were in this space being like, how are we fed? How are we feeding everyone else? And how do we not even have to do that much work to do it? And so we're just like, okay, we've really got some (laughs) shitty rubrics to how the world should work if we just like expect someone to lose at some point. Mm. Yeah. It's it's like that broken, that feeling of like coming out of the matrix or coming into the matrix i'm not sure which way which way around it works but like taking the pill and being like oh my gosh everything's broken this doesn't work Mm. and there's quite easy solutions to it Mm. yeah Mm. yeah do you feel like this is why because hearing that is like why are we why is the world not doing that right and it's it's i think for us you know thinking about this question it's like the world doesn't approach things intersectionally. And so would you say that that's why the intersectional approach to the work that you do is so important because it creates that community, creates that basis where you can, you can get free gourmet mushrooms. (laughs) Yeah. And in this sort of system that we exist within, we like to box and package people so that we, we know what to expect from them. So we know how to communicate. So we know how to, you know, 
do things. But when we stop and actually hold space for that complexity and that intersectionality, which we actually don't know about, which for us is that edge of queering, we sit here with a with a loving interest as what is this weirdness about you? What is this difference about you? And when we look at that from a sort of permaculture and ecological lens, um, that we call that diversity. And in ecologies, when you the more diversity you have, the more resilience you have in an ecosystem. It's able to support itself. It's able to generate more resources or relationships. And so when we are able to posture ourselves in that intersectionality um, with uh, wonder, with love, um, with care, backed by an appropriate design approach, all of a sudden we can start using the gifts of the people or cultures or intersections that we engage with. Mm. And, and everyone is, you know, born head to toe with gifts, culturally, mm. ancestrally, just chocker. And right now we're kind of in a space that's difficult to engage with those because of the way that our society sort of postures people. A really literal example that I can think of to illustrate that um, is they often bring autism coaches into schools here, uh, particularly when kids with autism are struggling. Um, They'll bring these coaches in and they'll kind of restructure the classroom and a few other things. And you'll absolutely see that the kids with autism do better but not just them, the kids without autism do significantly as well. They're just the canaries in the coal mine. And actually having people with diverse uh, lived experiences, they are like an absolute necessary piece of any design because they're the ones who experience the feedback that's invisible to everyone else. They're the canaries in the coal mine that can smell the gas. And they're the people who need to be listened to the most in terms of the shifts that need to be made towards uh, a society or a design that better meets those needs. Right. It's this like this idea of like centering people who exist on the margins being better for everybody within yeah. the whole. Yes. Um which I, I love as like a, a way of, of being. Mm. Um I don't embody it that much, but I love the idea of it. But I, one of the things I I've really enjoyed about this conversation so far is that it feels really close. I think when I heard the name Permaqueer, I was like, wow, this is going to be like, almost in my mind, like big pharma, like massive industry, do you know what I mean? Like a huge operation, but it sounds so like localized and like grassrootsy, which I'm, I'm really appreciating. Mm. Um, And we had a question about like the, the urgency of the climate crisis. and And I think that that's an important question, but what I am really, really interested in is like what what that your day-to-day looks like because like it sounds like i don't know it sounds like you're doing loads of different things all at the same time are you back in the dumpsters yeah sewing socks are you yeah no a, a week for us is um is just full of contact full of contact with so many wonderful and different communities that are doing different things for example we're working on a project uh, called microcycling at the moment, which is where you divert uh, natural waste resources from landfill and uh, they go through a sort of myceliation process, which is the root of mushrooms, um, to grow into new products or packages. And you can get medicinal mushrooms out of them, you can get uh, edible mushrooms, and you can also get the root structure that creates a material that can work with. So that can be uh, packaging, it can be fabrics, it can be paper, 
Um, and this is just one emanation of a really freaking cool thing that's happening within one community that actually needs to be held and it needs to be paid attention to and it needs to be connected with other networks. And so mm-hmm. what we, and, and that's like one thing over here that happens, you know, and then over on the other side, we have, you know, Center for Regenerative Arts, where we have different diverse artists and communities coming from cultural perspectives about how they vision what the future looks like. And while these two things kind of seem completely irrelevant, they actually tie together because we all exist in this community and we all need the same resources at the end of the day. And how we design and situate ourselves around those resources is really important. And so sort of day to day for us, it looks like going along to little mushroom sessions somewhere or going along to little art dreaming sessions. As we move to the end of our time, which is making me incredibly sad because I know maybe (laughs) flying uh, to your part of the world isn't appropriate, but I would actually, you've convinced me to maybe walk there, um, (laughs) which sounds about right. Um, If everything goes right, so if everything we've talked about here, we've all got our mended socks on and we're all on... Uh, we're all eating our delicious gourmet mushrooms, which I, you know, I just side note, hearing you say about dumpster diving, I also live near quite a chic, uh, chic little boutique, like supermarket place. Would it be bad if I jumped in the bins? No. Just yeah, record it. With the I paparazzi scene. I want to listen to your experience yeah. as you do that. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I, my own little podcast series. Um, <laughs> If we do everything in the next 10 years, so we're in 2030, we all still look incredible. What <laughs> what does that look like? What do you imagine the world to look like? Do you want more people to join? Do you want your message to have expanded? What does your 2030 look like? I want to be irrelevant, um, <laughs> to be honest. I really, um, I really, and I think this comes down to queerness and the idea of the shifting thing. And even the value system of white supremacy, we, we try to orientate it and, and look at it and name it and then fix it at one point. But queerness is shifting, it's other, it, it's, it, it's liminal. Um, for instance, even Guy and I have completely different experiences of queerness. Queerness is personal, cultural, relational, bioregional evil. Like each experience of queerness is different. So as this keeps shifting, so too do I want it to be. I want to be you know, I want people to look back in 10 years and think, oh, you said some problematic shit. Uh, and, and like for it to have moved that much, you know what I mean? Mm. I really want it to be continually evolving and changing and shifting. I don't want to be mm. still here, still like, you know, banging the drum, trying to lead a movement or do anything. I want to be like, I want to be retired. You know what I mean? I want other people to have yeah. picked up really cool work and, and in ways yeah. I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, I I think for me, you know, when I think about where we're at as a a world, we've spent so long, um, you know, post-industrial revolution building infrastructure and we've kind of not come to a point where we've recognised we just don't need to do that anymore. We've got so much of it. We've got the designs that's just sort of run away because of this sort of capitalist need to grow, grow, grow. And I... I hope that in 10 years, I don't know, I can't go back to my childhood, but I feel like the world was more trusting. I feel like there was 
less anxiety in the breath that everyone breathed in. I feel like there was less difficulty. And I think that's because the systems around us are failing. And so a lot of the things are a lot more tense. I want food systems to be distributed within communities. I want social welfare to be on a local level. I want councils, regional councils to have such a, a greater and more significant role with the the communities that they engage with because right now we outsource all of these decision makings to a level of governance that is so far removed from the experience of my life that there is i don't even know why i expect them to represent me and i believe when that happens we will we will trust more i believe we will be healthier we believe we'll be happier And I believe that the art that is created then will just be amazing. And you said something yes. that really, really kind of struck, not didn't struck a nerve in a good way, I want to say, but you were talking about how the, the anxiety is happening because these systems are failing. I want to see good systems. I think shifting mm. all the responsibility onto consumers to do the right thing is, is, is not going to work. I, I want to be able to go down to a shop and buy something and without even second guessing, knowing that this contributed to uh, the planet and contributed to communities in fair and equitable ways. So it's not just mm. that that we ourselves are improving, but the systems that we exist within are just inherently geared towards uh, right relationship. Yeah, mm. I love that. I, like, so it's like a mixture of representation and rest and better systems and retirement. Yeah, that is that is a twenty thirty. I could I can live in. I can, I can move towards that. I like that idea. Um, thank you, thank you so much for for sharing that. And it's it's really in line with the conversation we've been having, right? Like this idea of like a, not just us doing more work, but like an actual world that is actually better and functions in a better way for everybody who lives within it, um, and therefore solves. <laughs> a multitude of evils in the process of doing that. And now it's time for our climate confessions. Let's fess up to the bad habits we just can't kick. So this is the part of the show where we ask our esteemed guests to share something that they are maybe not doing so well. (laughs) <laughs> within within the cloud, we were saying, "Don't worry, Jamie, you got to do it as well." So I was gonna, I'm, I've got a long you, list. Okay, and I'm not going to lie, you two sound like absolute angels at this particular moment in time. So I am personally quite deeply invested <laughs> in, in hearing where you're not doing a good job. So if you've got any thoughts, and maybe Jamie, you could start us off. You've so Jamie, all of your, you've shared all of your sins. Uh. Uh, well, as as a co as a special co-host, I feel like I can be let off the hook slightly because, as this is a space for new, not new people. Obviously, it's not like I've just heard about this. Oh, it's a cool climate trend. Um, but as someone who is definitely in the beginnings of that journey, my confession is: I need to stop seeing things on mannequins in shops and thinking <laughs> I need that for a job that I'm doing I must buy that suit if you could see my wardrobe I have 
so many suits and so many roll necks, and that's all that's all I own, which is a not appropriate because it's getting hotter. There's yeah. anything we know, it's getting really hot. Um, and two, it's just fast fashion. So my my climate confession is stop buying fast fashion too much. And there's so many amazing reseller apps that mm. I've been using recently that are not only cheaper, but you get to see someone else in it. It's like I'm living, it's a it's a historical garment now. It's, it's a historical. Actual, yeah, a passed on memory. <sighs> You're part of, a, part of a history. And maybe you can cut the sleeves off of the suits for summer. I don't, don't know. Be, don't be into, blasphemous. Sorry, no, never mind, never mind. <laughs> we'll keep it moving. Okay, over, over to you. Either, either one, Code? Um, I buy too much, like, plastic and silicon-based lubricants. That's, that's my confession. Sure. I, I work, I used to manage an adult store, and I have yet to find ethical-based, like, sex products. Mm. Okay. Yeah. You, are, you've yet to find them, or you've yet to find ones that you like? Um, and this is the thing. I'm doing other stuff that I'm just like, I'm just add this to my little basket. I'm up, take it away. Right, right, right. I, I haven't done the research and I, I'm sure it exists out there. And I would love to see some kind of queer ethical kink mm. emerging business or something that I can throw all my money at. That's what I would like. I could see this outside in the little, you know, you've got your socks, you've got <laughs> your gourmet mushrooms, you've got your, <laughs> you've got your, yeah, yeah. your lube. Props. <laughs> Yeah, your water-based lubes. Yeah, it's it's important. It's important, and I appreciate the honesty. Thank you very much for sharing. Yeah, I feel like I have like a a whole bunch of things I want to get off my chest now. I'm like, Uh, look, this is the opportunity. (laughs) Um, I have a keep cup, and I don't use it. I feel like that. That is just like oh, a keep cup. That is the most virtue signaling thing of having it and yeah. not even using it. And like every time I see it, it's this reminder of like every single coffee cup and mug that I just get and it goes into like yeah. somewhere. I do the same, but I don't even just buy one keep cup because they're quite beautiful. I buy a collection of keep cups <laughs> that I never use. So there's just an increasingly like yeah. hodgepodge collection of like handmade ceramics and these yeah. and there's just like my, my bin is filled with these yeah. like cups yeah is it because the... they take too long to wash that's why i don't use them is yeah. because i feel gross if i have like a milky yeah. coffee residual cup in the bottom of my little bag, bag. I'm like, that's that's rancid it's weird yeah mine's yeah. adhd and executive function i have like two monkeys like fighting each other for my kind of organizing of thought. So I just right. run out the house and I'm like, I forgot the thing again. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose oh, just responding to the, like, I, I love that we came across as angels. Keep that branding. We'll love it. <laughs> I will shatter it for a moment because, you know, we love working in this space, but it's so iterational and we can only be as sustainable as our environments allow us to be. Right, right, you know, right. When the only food available is wrapped in five layers of packaging and when, you know, the only transport available is fossil fuels, like that's actually not on us well, as on us as consumers, it's also not. And so, like, I, with this confession, I'm also shamelessly going to be like, we're all in motion and that's okay. Yeah. You're just queer theory in the, the whole podcast. Yeah. You can't do that. That's Come shit. In. Come in. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. No, that's, I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm not even going to try and add anything to it. You are correct. <laughs> and we are at the end of the podcast. So thank you both, Guy Toad. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank um, you. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. I think it's really, really wonderful that you're platforming, you know, small community initiatives. And while that's not exclusively what we are, um, that's where the solutions come from. So it's, yeah, it's just wonderful to, to be a part of this podcast and to connect with all the stuff that you're doing. And I'm really grateful that you're creating an accessible format for a lot of people who don't live in this weird echo chamber of right, you know, right. of, yeah. of ecology that we're in so thank you thank you so much for joining us this week we really hope you enjoyed this episode if you did please rate subscribe and share this episode with a curious friend it makes us possible to keep making this amazing content for you oh and slide into our dms at tedx london and let us know which climate extraordinaires you'd love to hear from next time but wait that is not all no this podcast was produced by the amazing josie coulter curation and research by the genius tara cooper artwork designed by the visionaries that are sabrina russo and rebecca mingus Mixed and engineered by the iconic Ben Beheshti, a.k.a. The Falcon, who also composed our banging theme tune. Presented by me, Marion Pasha. And by me, Ben Hurst. Stay curious. <laughs>